0: Today on Farming Together, I chat to Hugh and Katie Finlay of Harcourt Organic Farming Cooperative. Realising as they aged, they could not physically continue with all the farm work required, Katie and Hugh formed a cooperative that would not only ensure the farm's continued productivity, it would also help mentor the next generation of farmers and offer them greater lease security. The farm includes five enterprises on site, a dairy, orchard, market garden, fruit tree nursery and the Grow Great Fruit online teaching business. The couple share their secrets to making it work, from negotiating watertight contracts to building community and trust among its members.
1: You're listening to the Farming Together podcast. Farming Together, a podcast series exploring how farmers, fishers and foresters can establish collaborative business models and co-ops that address current economic and environmental challenges with your host, Amanda Scott. Farming Together is created in collaboration with Southern Cross University's Farming Together program.
0: So welcome, Katie and Hugh. Really excited to have you here today. One of the first questions that I'm really interested in asking, I'll start with you, Katie is how did you come to being on an organic orchard?
1: This is my family farm. I had no intention of being a farmer and our parents were actually very keen for us. Well I'm one of four girls. They were keen for us to leave the farm and go and get an education, get you know, a tertiary education, which we all duly did. But uh, as time passed, I had my, my own small business actually in the city But when it was time for our kids to to go to school, there was just this real urge to come back to the country. And then that ended up coinciding with my dad deciding he was going to sell the farm. Yeah, and suddenly I discovered my inner farmer. I was like, no, you can't sell the farm. What are you talking about? And in my late 30s, discovered that I actually wanted to be a farmer. And so Hugh and I moved
0: back to the farm then. So how long have you been on... Farm now. Well, that totally gives away my age. <laughs> twenty years, <laughs> just on twenty years. And uh, you say you've got you've got orchards, organic orchards there. What what do you produce? Mixed orchard, so stone fruit and palm fruit. We've
1: got seven different types of fruit: so peaches, nectarines, plums, apples, pears. What did I miss, Hugh? Cherries, peaches. peaches. <laughs> so all the stone fruit and apples and pears.
0: I mean, this is quite a radical idea i haven't seen too many people out there doing what you guys are doing in terms of uh leasing your land to other farmers where did you get this idea
2: so i guess we were having been farmers for 20 years as we said and reaching an age where the horizon was starting to look like we don't want to get to 70 and still be doing all the physical hard work of the farm at the same time, we'd invested so much of ourselves into it that we didn't want to see the hard work sort of disappear and us move away, really. So we wanted to stay on the farm, but didn't want to... We wanted a succession plan, really, of how we were going to be able to gracefully exit without still having to, you know, just get to a point, as so many farmers do, I think, get to a point where suddenly they've reached an age where they don't or can't physically can't work any longer as a farmer, and what do they do they they're left with no options but to sell, so we were sort of thinking, how could we stay living here, which is what one of the the other main things we didn't want to do because it's such an amazing place where we live, we're really attached to it, so we were thinking, how could we both stay here but also keep the land productive and and increase the productivity of the land because while we were had five thousand trees or whatever it was on 12 acres, there was a lot of acreage on the farm that wasn't actually being used to its full potential. So there seemed to be some opportunities coming together there for meeting all those needs, I suppose. And so it was actually in a conversation with our accountant when we were talking about now, will we sell or, you know, what can we, what are our options sort of thing? They said, well, why don't you lease it? I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So we then started seriously investigating that and how it might work. And From that, we um, came up with a a multi-enterprise model, I guess, which we've then put into practice.
1: The other thing that had already happened when we started thinking about, seriously thinking about our succession, was that we had been approached previously by two young women who wanted to start a market garden. And we very naively, as it turned out, had said, sure, why not? It sounds like a great idea. And, and it was a great idea. I don't mean naive in that, that it would, wasn't working or wouldn't, wasn't going to work. We just had no idea at that stage what it was going to lead to. Uh, yes, yeah, so they had already set up their market garden probably a couple of years before we started sort of seriously thinking about what our succession plan would be. And so we already had them in place. And that, I think, was the germ of the idea uh, for being able to expand on that concept of leasing out some of our land to different enterprises
0: do you want to take us through those and just tell us a little bit about who you've actually got on the farm and their stories and how you found them so the gung ho market gardeners gung ho growers um, are our
1: market gardeners and as i said they found us so we already knew them they're both local women and we would known them through different contexts and they had already decided to set up a market garden and they were looking for somewhere to do it so they approached us with that idea then once we had the idea of expanding the, the concept, I was actually talking about it when it was still just a germ of an idea, I think it was at an open day at our local TAFE. Tess Seller was in the audience and she had the same story really. She had already decided she was going to start a, mar- a micro dairy and she was looking for the right place to do that. And I, again, we already knew each other loosely But that was really important, actually, having the beginnings of that relationship because it established trust immediately so we could start having that conversation straight away. So she approached us, told us what she was thinking about, and then she headed off on a 12-month study tour. And during that 12 months, she was writing her own business plan. So when she came back to us a year later, we were much more ready, and so was she. It was obvious then that, you know, that would fit in beautifully with the model that we were thinking about and then with the orchard, as, uh, as Hugh said before, it was our accountant that gave us the idea of how to actually just go and look for somebody to lease, lease it to. So that was a very different situation. We ran a campaign for several months about, um, on social media and through all of our networks, we actually put together sort of a mini prospectus about what that business opportunity was we ended up with quite a few people applying for that, for that role and so we were in the very fortunate position of being able to choose who we thought was going to be the best person and that's Ant Wilson. So he leased the orchard and rebranded it. We, we used to be called Mount Alexander Fruit Gardens and the orchard business is now called Tellurian Fruit Gardens under Ant's Amazing Care. And the fourth on-farm enterprise is Car's Organic Fruit Tree Nursery We've always grown all of our own fruit trees here. My dad, Merv Carr, we're a multi-generational co-op. He's always been in charge of that, but I've been his student, I guess, for many years. And Sass, who is part of one of the other enterprises, the Market Garden, was also really interested in learning how to grow fruit trees. And so Sass and I went into partnership to turn that into a commercial business because we've finished our replanting program here on the, on the farm for the orchard before we leased it. And it, it just seemed like too good an opportunity to miss when we had dad here as a mentor with all you know he's got he's got 60 plus years of experience in growing fruit trees and he was really happy to mentor us into that into that business and so that was a really neat fit. So that's the four on-farm enterprises. The fifth enterprise is uh, the business that Hugh and I run which is our online teaching business called Grow Great Fruit. So we teach organic fruit growing online. So It's based in place, it's based on on our farm here, but in fact all the activity happens online. Sounds like a very busy farm. It's a very busy (laughs) farm. (laughs) One One of the great joys for us is being able to look out the window or go outside the house and there's just people around all the time, just quietly, calmly, you know, getting on with their business. But as each of those enterprises has grown, they all have volunteers, they all have employees now and so... Often, you know, there's, there's, there can be upwards of 10 people on the farm all just sort of quietly going about farming. And it's, it is just fantastic in terms of one of our goals was to make the farm more productive and there's all these people out there doing it.
0: Sounds like it's sort of become a real community endeavour as well. Definitely. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of different models that you could have adopted in, in achieving what you wanted to do. Why did you choose a, a cooperative model?
2: That's an interesting one in that part of what we could see or envision was farmers on the same property being able to leverage the fact that they were all together on the one property to maybe get some benefits in terms of being able to do things as a single entity rather than each individual business having to do all the things themselves. And so there would be four businesses all basically duplicating effort and and costs. So the cooperative model was gave us a structure that enabled us to do that. I guess one good example is our organic certification. So organic certification is obviously a cost to every enterprise that chooses to certify. And it just seemed insane that we would go from being a fully certified organic property to having four businesses each then being required to maintain their own organic certification over property that we'd already certified. And so we approached NASA and negotiated with them really because they didn't have, it, this model didn't fit their system. And so negotiated with them about how we could do that. And to their credit, they were, they were very willing to to look at it and negotiate with us. So we now have an organic certification that covers the entire property as a single entity, but those four businesses can still trade with their own names under the one certification. So that was an immediate benefit for all concerned. And I guess one of the other things that's happened is they've been able to start co-marketing. And so, like, they've started a new farmer's market or were responsible for starting a new farmer's market in Castle It's a weekly market, a weekly twilight market on a Wednesday. Um, And they were the driving force behind that. That has now taken off and it is going fantastically well. And they are now marketing with a single stall as a co-op stall, each with each business's produce at that stall. And so, again, that's a way of pooling resources to save everyone time and money.
0: Well, that that NASA certification is really interesting. I think what you're doing is quite pioneering in that it's going to open up opportunities for a lot of others who want to do similar. I know through the Farming Together program, we saw so many older farmers who were in a position, similar position to you guys in terms of they wanted to retire, but they didn't want to leave their family farm, which had so much history. They had so much knowledge of their land, but their kids weren't interested in taking over the farm. So I think uh, the model that you guys have sort of put together is one that hopefully we will see implemented a lot more across the country. And I think the knowledge that you have to share for that is going to be really valuable. Um, yeah,
2: um, I think it's it's still early days for us. I mean, we've only, as you said, you know, we've been going just coming up for two years. And so there's been a lot of things along the way that we've had to Sort of work through i think the co-op model is one that lends itself to exactly this to retiring farmers
1: and at the same time the other cohort is young farmers wanting to get into farm farming and without having easy access to land so some of our farmers here only one of our farmers grew up on a farm but that farm wasn't available wasn't accessible And all of the others and a lot of the other young farmers in their generation that we've met or, you know, have talked to are the same, that they've got, there's this growing interest. It's fantastic, you know, in this younger generation, they really want to get their hands dirty and really there's this passion to get farming, but getting access to the land, it's a really big issue. And we're not the only ones trying to solve that. There's a lot of groups and initiatives that have sprung up with with different people trying to come up with solutions to these problems so
0: our co-op model is just one of those. Yeah no I think but I think it's really effective it's really effective one again from having worked with a number of farmers over the last three years this could really work. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> yeah.
2: One of the th- the things we've noticed is since launching the co-op is the, the interest that it's generated amongst both young potential farmers but also um, older farmers who are at our end of the journey and we've been approached a number of times to for people to pick our brains about how it's going. And so we're we're really keen to, to share this knowledge and or share the experience we've gained. And, you know, it's only it's the way we've done it. It's certainly not a definitive model. You know, it's not the only way to do things.
0: No, but, um, but I guess the foundations are there and, and you kind of sound like you've got the ability to be flexible and adaptable in, in, and evolve with that as well along the way. One question that just came to mind then, you're sort of talking about, we don't know if, if we're there yet. We don't quite know if it's working. H- how will you know? Such an interesting question, Amanda. Part of what we are discovering along the way is the problems that we
1: haven't managed to solve yet. And the system we've put in place here is nine-year leases, in three year amounts so each of our farmers we've committed to each of them for a nine-year period but they actually have to sign up again each three years so they have more security in that in a way than we do which was part of what we needed to do we felt as a group to try and redress the, the there's an inherent imbalance in our system because we're the landowners we we own the land, and this the system we've set up here—the cooperative system—it is just based on leases. And so our farmers are putting everything into their businesses and into their land, with no real security beyond the lease. So we wanted to give them, as you know, a long period of security, the nine years. But at the same time, they needed the opportunity to be able to bail if it if it's not working for them. So part of the answer to your question is that they'll keep renewing their leases. Uh, and that also we as a, as a community will solve the longer term problem or the longer term scenario, what's it going to look like at the end you know, at, of our initial lease period, are we going to set that up for another, you know, extend the lease period, or are we going to collectively come up with a, an alternative model that might in, involve, for example, some transfer of land ownership. So we haven't addressed that that basic issue within the model that we've set up. It may turn out that we're an incubator and the farmers that we've got at the moment sell or lease their businesses to other farmers. We just don't know that yet. So it's quite a short-term short term model. We don't know yet what, what success is going to look like in the long term.
2: I guess the, uh, the shorter-term measure of success is that the the farmers that are here running their businesses are running profitable businesses so that they're in a position to, well, from our point of view, pay their leases every year. I mean, that's fairly hard-nosed, being hard-nosed about it, but, you know, that's what it comes down to is that they're running profitable businesses. And if they're successful in what they're doing, it's a win for them, but it's a win for us as well.
0: True, true. Yeah. Now, now, going from one end of success back to the beginning When you were sort of starting this all, what what was what in your mind? What was really essential in terms of being able to get this going?
1: We worked with a business consultant right from the beginning through the farming together funding. We were well, we worked with a bunch of consultants through that funding actually, and that gave us a really good opportunity to do a few things. One was explore a bunch of different models. So this we didn't just come up with this model, we actually came up with a number of different models and then um, measured them against each other to decide which one we would do. It also gave us the opportunity to start working together as a community to work through a whole lot of issues right at the beginning. So everyone, once we had all our people in place, everyone was part of that process of planning what this would look like. I, I think one of the main things is that actually is, was the people. It was feeling like we had the right people in place. And, you know, this is also part, I guess, of the measure of success. One of the shorter-term measures of success is that we all like each other and we need to keep liking each other. The community has to work on just a visceral day-to-day, you know, getting on with each other um, way, like a family does, really, or any small community does. And so that's one of the ways that we kind of all check in with each other all the time is does everything still feel okay? And that was definitely one of the right, one of the measures of success or one of the things that I think we had to get in place right at the beginning. It was definitely key in us deciding who was going to get the orchard lease was that that had to be somebody that we thought would fit in well with um, us and with the rest of the community.
2: And I, I think that's been informing us as we go as well. We've been approached by... Uh, I don't know how many people to become members of the co-op who've come to us with an idea and we are actively looking still for new members. The ideas have often fit, but the people don't you know and so we've we're really very you know mindful of bringing new people in as we want to, but it's it is really important it's critical to the success of the co-op is that you know the people who are are in here share values and share common ideas about what's acceptable and what's not.
0: I think that's the biggest thing we've seen as well through the Farming Together program in terms of the importance of working with people that have the same values as you, you know, taking the time to build those relationships, taking the time to build the trust and then the rest follows. So, yeah, I totally agree from, from our experiences and the people are the foundation of it all. If I remember a while back, I think I'd heard you guys talking about the legal contracts and that being a bit of a challenge. I know that with some of the collaborative business models that we've seen that actually structuring those contracts can be a really challenging part of the whole process. So you've got to have the relationships and the right people. But obviously, in these kind of arrangements, you also need those formal contracts. What was the experience like for you?
2: It worked really well for us in that we, with the Farming Together funding, we were able to access a consultant who was an expert in co-ops and another one who was an expert in leases. So between the two of them, we came up with, we were suddenly made aware of all the pitfalls of both leasing land and co-ops. And so we did come up with a, a document that was our lease template, which we'd, we got a generic template for that and had adapted it to our situation, which we then took to our solicitor and got him to look at from a purely legal standpoint. And he had some ideas that we didn't necessarily agree with because he was looking at them from a strictly legal point of view, and and we weren't necessarily coming at it from that. You know, we wanted to take the have the human aspect in there as well, and so we came up with a document that we were happy with, and then. What we'd initially thought would be a, a nice, brief, and easy contract ended up being a 17 page document, which we then handed to our prospective lessees and told them to go away and get it checked, which we thought would be a simple process. And that started three months of negotiations, basically, to come up with because, I mean, we, uh, we had our obviously we'd written it from our perspective, and we had our we were sure that we were we were covering off the points that were important to us. But our lessees were were then looking at it from their perspective and came up with things that we hadn't really sort of considered or hadn't given the importance that they thought they needed. And so it was quite a negotiation process to get those leases over the line to the point where everyone was happy to sign.
0: I think it's a kind of an important point that you suggested, which is that this this contractual arrangement was not about how much can I get out of this and how can I make sure that I'm covered, but it's how much can we collectively with our shared shared values, what do we both, what do we all want out of this partnership and how can we make that work into the contract?
1: In a, in a way, not really. So the leases are just between us and each individual lessee. So that was the level at which everybody had to be, had to feel confident that their um, interests were protected that's why it turned into such a lengthy negotiation because it did have to keep going back it went to lawyers on a number of occasions because we were all getting advice about how to make sure we were protecting our our own interests and for us as landowners this is our home this is our you know this is our farm it felt really important but it felt equally important to each of the lessees because as i said before they were contemplating you know that putting their ring, their hat in the ring to set up a business, their whole livelihood, on someone else's land. So it also felt really, really important to them. So the leases are the, the very pointy end of making sure that every individual feels confident that their, their rights are protected. It was scary. It was a scary process and there was a lot of fear involved, partly because it was so legalese and just because everyone felt they had so much on the line. Soon as we got to the point of going, all right, that's kind of it. We have to just, you know, we feel like we've negotiated everything we can. This is what we're offering. Are you in? Are you signing? And everybody went, all right, we'll sign. <laughs> that very day, all the fear and tension disappeared, it dissolved. So as soon as we got over it, then we cracked a bottle of champagne, and it had been a tense couple of months, always friendly and always polite, but tense. Yeah, that day, everything just changed. As soon as we signed and then we put it away in the drawer. We've got a process for referring back to, to it each year to um, you know, keep it up to date and, and checking on condition reports and things like that. But it was a really interesting process. So I'm glad we went through it and we did it that way because everybody has got their security there now. And it was very community
0: building actually in the end because everyone stuck it out. And they all signed. (laughs) They all signed. (laughs) We had a big party. You were all friends at the end. That's pretty impressive. We were all friends at the end. That's right. (laughs) Obviously when when you're working in a collaborative business model like a cooperative, there's a lot of different personalities. So even when you've got the same values, you're all working towards the shared goal, There's different personalities and with that can sometimes bring conflict. How did you uh, make it work with all those different personalities?
1: Egos and personalities in any community or family are one of the hardest things you have to deal with for sure, negotiating stuff like that. There's a whole um, bunch of ways that we didn't anticipate that our lessees would see things differently to us. Uh, which is partly intergenerational and partly just the fact that we've got a bunch of really strong-minded individuals here. So, in the early days, particularly, we would, you know, present an issue or talk about something and just kind of assume that, you know, what we were saying was common sense and everybody would agree with us and there would be really markedly different opinions. And so, yes, we have had to come up with ways of talking through issues where there is you know, there's really strong opinions on both sides and negotiating um, shared resources has been one of those, that the, the actual logistics of how we share water on the farm. So we've got plenty of water and we've got access to plenty of water, um, but how it's delivered to everybody in a timely way that, that works for all the different individuals turned into this big issue that, that needed a lot of negotiation in heatwaves when people needed their water now and weren't getting it So we've been put under some pretty stressful situations where we've had to negotiate those sorts of issues. It's an evolving situation. But like I say, one of the things that we kind of keep doing as a community is checking in on how everyone's feeling about each other. And it's named and acknowledged if people are feeling a bit grumpy with each other. And sometimes the solution to that is to just back off and give each other a bit more space. Sometimes the solution is to just sit down and have a meal together. So it's a live aspect of the community nobody pretends that it's not an issue we all know it is and on the whole I think we've handled it pretty well maybe one of the things we would have done differently is do a bit more work on the actual having a, a really robust decision making process earlier on we did a lot of work on our shared values um, so we were pretty confident that we had shared values but then in the actual negotiation of things we we had we didn't have a really robust process for how we would work out things when there was conflict we, we just sort of agreed that we would but we didn't really know how and that we've, we've started working on a um, holistic management decision making process we've got a mentor in to help us work on that and that's a working process
0: and it, did you want to add anything there Hugh, what do you think katie pretty much covered it
2: oh, i think she's covered it but <laughs> I, I think i would i would say you know part of the part of the reason for the success so far is that because we have got the right personalities and egos involved, which comes back to the selection process in the first place, that, you know, if we thought there was someone who was really not going to fit in, then we wouldn't have gone with them in the first place. So it has been difficult, as Katie has said, but the main thing is everyone is still fully committed and fully prepared to work things through. If something's not working, you know, no one spits the dummy and walks off. Everyone in their own way, is prepared to negotiate and work through it until we get to a resolution.
0: Yeah, really important stuff. Really important. And they
1: have been fantastic at doing that, you know. They've had some really stressful situations and they keep coming back to the table until we get through them. And then then the tension sort of dissolves again.
0: So I've asked you sort of some of the challenges, the the challenging things, the contracts and the the personalities. Um, What are some of the things that you think you've done really well in setting this up?
2: I think we've, we've made a good job of being thorough, how we set it up and making sure that we didn't just go into it with handshake agreements and gentlemen and women's agreements on what would happen on the farm. We was, we really had to make sure that everything was watertight in as much as it could be, and I think we did a good job of that. And in the in being consultative with our young farmers, all the entities, all at every step along the way of what we were working towards. You know, I think as Katie mentioned before, we didn't we didn't say right, we're starting a co-op, and this is what we're going to do. We said, you know, we want to work together. How are we going to do that? And I think that whole consultation process, working with the consultant that we had, really helped bond everyone together, really. And I think that's, that's now paying us back in that everyone is really committed and is, really wants to make sure that this works. I think
1: one of the um, maybe slightly unexpected benefits or, or things that have happened is the huge amount of community goodwill and love that, that we experience all the time from, from the community around us. And I think that is probably mostly to do with our young farmers and the way they connect with their customers and the way they connect with the, the world at large. There's just this tremendous amount of support and goodwill from their customers from their volunteers they have a lot of volunteers they have they're all employing people now they're, you know their employees actively look for ways to support them so there's some really lovely relationships have built up um, you know with the markets that they do with the people they supply with their you know the, the chefs that they're supplying uh, with other businesses in the area there's a real sort of collaborative and collegiate feeling around the co-op. And more so than I think we ever got ourselves. Not, I mean, we've always had tremendous support as well in our business. But, uh, yeah, there's there's just a lot of love around the co-op. So you said that surprised you? Um, more than we expected. I guess we've always been a little bit more just business. You know, it's just business that we run. And we've put a lot of our heart and soul and, and love into into our own business. but. They do it in a way, you know, they all write a blog. We have a weekly co-op blog that we take it in turns to write. And the way they all write their blog posts is it's totally from the heart. That's how they run their businesses. So sometimes that means they kind of are making decisions in a way that we wouldn't make or, or they make actual decisions that we wouldn't make. Because their, yeah, their passion just shines through at every level and I think people really connect with that and not just young people, it's not just other people of their own age that connect with it, but the whole community seems to really connect with who they are and what they're trying to do. There's just this tremendous sort of good heartedness about why they're doing this that um, yeah, everybody has just responded to amazingly.
0: And it sounds like uh, everyone coming together collectively is kind of given built Built that excitement, that energy, that authenticity.
1: Yes, authenticity, I think, uh, Amanda, is a really great word that um, you can't fake this, (laughs) what we're doing here.
0: What do you wish you'd known before you started?
2: I think we wish we'd known how hard it was going (laughs) to (laughs) be. We thought this was going to be easy. It's the hardest thing we've ever done by a long way. I mean, we farmed for 20 years through drought and bird plague and whatever else but that was just sort of us against the elements whereas setting up this co-op has been and the, the collaborative farming and sharing the land has been a very difficult thing and it's it's challenged us to in ways like I hadn't expected I hadn't thought I was attached to doing certain things certain ways as much as I have been <laughs> clearly have been because when I see it to being done another way I'm I, mm, oh, that's interesting way of doing things but you know we're just gonna let it go it's not it's not about how I do things it's you know we have committed to letting these guys run their own businesses and we've got to stay out of their way and that's been hard to watch at times I guess
0: I guess especially when it's on your land as well (laughs)
2: yes
0: (laughs) and you've cared for this land for so long and now you're seeing other people use it in a way that may not be the same way that you would choose.
2: That's true. But while it's not, while it might not be the same way, it doesn't mean it's not better even in mm-hmm. some ways. So, you know, we, again, part of the shared values thing is about a commitment to environment, a commitment to sustainability, to regenerative agriculture, to organics. So when everyone's got that sort of mindset, we can be confident that things are going to happen that are overall for the greater good, but they just might be differently to the way that we would have gone about it.
1: Part of the joy of this model is, um, is seeing our land being used and developed in ways that we only ever dreamed of. So we destocked. We used to run a few cows, you know, back in the day. We destocked in the drought during the drought, and never restocked because it was not our primary business. And so we've had all these paddocks sitting there getting weedier. And, and not being utilised. And to see them now being farmed regeneratively with micro-dairy uh, is just bliss. It's it's fantastic. And the same with all the businesses, actually. They're doing, they're all innovating, they're, um, they're doing new things, they're bringing new ideas onto the farm, which is, uh, it's just wonderful to watch.
0: So that, that was going to be one of my other questions, which was, you know, you've said this is the hardest thing you've ever done, but has this Brought up new opportunities and new rewards in ways that you never possibly imagined. Being able to watch our farm be farmed by the next generation
1: when it became fairly obvious that wasn't going to be our kids. We've got five kids and none of them are interested. They may be in the future, but none of them were when we were ready for for, um, the next generation to take over. So to be able to watch our farm be farmed and become more productive by a growing community of passionate young farmers is just amazing it is it's just such a gift and particularly because my dad is still here he's getting huge amounts of joy out of um out of watching that happen as well because that's the gift he gave us he he mentored us when we took over the farm and stepped right into the background but stayed there giving us that guiding hand and he taught us how to be orchardists and it must have been agonising for him because to watch us do things differently to the way he had always had always done them and make loads of mistakes along the way, yeah. So it's really fantastic for him to still be here and see see it pass on to the um, onto the next generation as well. So we're not quite the elders yet; we're the young elders. <laughs>
0: Got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you haven't been handed the baton yet. No. Your dad's no, still no, holding no, on. No, <laughs> he's dad, watching.
1: <laughs> he's, he's watching, yes. But he handed over responsibility really early, which was fantastic. And that, that I think, gave us the model of being able to do the same thing, was to stay here, guide when, we, when we're when we asked, <laughs> and basically stay out of their way. Well, that's given our farm... Um, you know a whole new life for more tools and resources to help you work collaboratively head to farmingtogether.com.au or join the conversation on the farming together program's facebook page
0: you're listening to the farming together podcast